We're going to turn to God's Word now. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I invite you to find that in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We spent several weeks working through chapter 13, learning that without love, spiritual gifts are nothing. And today we'll see that with love, spiritual gifts are something. They are something to be earnestly desired. And I really just want to jump right into the text, but let's pray before we do. Would you bow with me? Fathers, we approach your word. We need your help to be humbly and submissively open to it. We invite you to reveal to us things that we may need to change, ways of thinking that we need to adjust and align with what's true according to your word. We ask you to do whatever you see fit to do among us through your powerful word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's just jump in, starting with verse 1. I suspect this is a passage that you may have not heard preached, at least often. Verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, really, the whole sermon is captured in this first verse. We're going to focus on the first four verses of the chapter, but it's all here in this first verse. Pursue love. That original language is the idea of chase it down and grab it. It's actually a word that's translated persecute in other contexts. It's chase it down as if you're the police and it's under arrest and you need to get it. Pursue love. We've talked about that for weeks, so we're not going to dwell on that this morning. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Here again, it's helpful to look at some of the connotations of the original words and the original Greek, but it's the idea of boiling bubbling over with zeal for the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. Desire for the spiritual gifts is good. Go get spiritual gifts. It's, the spiritual gifts are the cornucopia, and this is the Hunger Games. Go get the spiritual gifts. I see I've used another movie reference that people aren't familiar with. We want more Holy Spirit giftedness in our church, not less. We want more Holy Spirit giftedness in Doolin's Grove Church. If we've had any problem connecting with this section of 1 Corinthians, where Paul is going on and on about the proper way to understand and use spiritual gifts, it's probably because we don't desire spiritual gifts enough. I suspect that we as a church don't desire the spiritual gifts enough. I know that I have not desired the spiritual gifts enough. That's one thing that this passage has been doing in my heart as I've been preparing to preach it this morning. Who thought about spiritual gifts this morning when they were getting ready for church? Matt Larkin did, show off back there, but that's good. 
Who thought about how the Holy Spirit might empower them to serve and bless other people here this morning as the church gathers? See, often we're not thinking on that level when we approach gathered church times. Instead, we're thinking, oh man, this is early. This is a day off and my alarm's going off. Or we're thinking, what am I going to wear? What did I wear last week? I can't repeat that again. Somebody might remember. Or we're thinking about, how is our hair shaping up today? And we're not thinking, maybe the Holy Spirit would give me a word of wisdom to share with somebody who has a decision to make as a Christian. I want to be ready for that. I want to be walking in the Spirit, centered in the Word, so that I can be helpful in that way. We're not often thinking, maybe the Holy Spirit would give me a word of knowledge that would help somebody that needs to know something to progress as a Christian this week. Maybe the Holy Spirit would give me an increased faith so that in conversation I can encourage someone else with my faith to strengthen their faith, or I can pray for them in a way deeper than I would if I wasn't walking in the Spirit. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Be boiling and bubbling with desire for the spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. Now this is, that takes a lot of explanation for us, I think. But first, let's just start with the fact that all that Paul has been arguing for leading up to chapter 14 is don't get arrogant about your spiritual gifts. It's the same Lord that gives them all, the same Spirit, the same God that empowers all the spiritual gifts. There's many different kinds of members, but it's one body. So don't walk around thinking you're better than other people if you have higher spiritual gifts. And then here he says, especially desire prophecy. He holds this up as if it is special, it is better in some way. Why would he do that? Verses 2 and 3 explain. For, or because, One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So he focuses in, as he's talking about spiritual gifts, on two, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Have you guys seen either of these happening yet this morning among us at Doolin's Grove? Have you seen anyone speaking in tongues? Have you seen anyone prophesying? Think about it for a minute. The spiritual gifts of tongues means basically, simply, speaking in a language that you don't know. Because the Holy Spirit is bringing it about in you. We first see it in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, earlier this year, if you'll remember... When the Holy Spirit first came upon the apostles, they all of a sudden were speaking in languages that they shouldn't have known as Galilean blue-collar folks. And they were out in the streets proclaiming the greatness of God in languages that Jewish people from all over the world who were there understood. So these were real human languages. And many, many people got saved, and it was a, a sign that had been foretold all through the Old Testament that something like this was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. Now, fast forward several decades to the first Corinthian Christians, and there the spiritual gifts of tongues seem to be used in a little bit of a different way. We get some clues in verse 2 as to what this was, what this looked like. 
Clue number one, the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. So where in Acts 2, they're speaking to men about God, here in 1 Corinthians 14, it looks like in the Corinthian church anyway, the Spirit was enabling them to speak to God in some way, in a tongue that they didn't know, in a language they didn't know. Clue number two, no one understands him, the one speaking in tongues. So the the tongues that they were using, the people right beside them in the church gathering, if it were a comic book, they'd have a big question mark over their heads. No idea what they're saying. Clue number three, he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So this would be something like if during the service we sort of started to hear some talking. You know, sometimes you can hear that if somebody's talking to their child to quiet them. You hear talking, and you look over, and Ethan Walsh is over there, and he's, he's speaking in French. Something He's praying in French kind of privately to himself. Well, that's different and new for us. And then you hear something else, and, and Doug Williams is back there. He's praying in some African dialect with all the clicking and popping sounds. And then over here, Mike Boston, he's praying in a language that isn't even a human language. It's some sort of heavenly language that nobody knows. And none of them even know. They're uttering mysteries in the Spirit. And Denise doesn't understand what Mike is praying. Mitchell doesn't understand what Doug is praying. Ben doesn't understand what Ethan is praying. They're having a personal moment wherein the Holy Spirit is bringing this up in them, and they're, they're praying, talking to God in a foreign tongue. Prophecy, on the other hand. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, the model we have for a prophet, we tend to think of the Old Testament prophet. And that's a good place to start for understanding this. What we tend to jump to the conclusion, though, is that the prophet is telling the future. We tend to think prophecy is about telling the future. Somebody's saying, I prophesy that such and such is going to happen to this church on such and such date or in the future. In the Old Testament, sometimes prophets did have a message from God about what was going to happen in the future. Israel, you guys are disobeying, and God says, because of this, he's going to bring this judgment on you. But here, I don't think it's a a technical term. I don't think it means some specific uh, word about the future from God. I think it's a general term, an umbrella term, for speaking on behalf of God to people in an effective way. And we get clues in verse 3 as to how this worked itself out in the Corinthian church. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Upbuilding is helping people mature as Christians. So that, that doesn't seem as supernatural, does it? It's speaking to someone for their upbuilding to help them mature. This could be um, Mitchell and Larry are talking out in the foyer before we come in, about something going on in Larry's life that he's uncertain about. And the Spirit brings to mind in Mitchell's memory, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And in that moment, he can quote it. He, He quotes it to him. And then Larry walks away, built up from that. That scripture having its effect in Larry's life. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement. This is the idea of urging someone forward in their faith. This could be um, Denise huddling with the children's workers during the breakfast time in the fellowship hall, 
checking in, seeing how they're doing. And then the Spirit prompts her and moves her to just say some words of encouragement to them. You know, I just want to remind you of how eternally significant your ministry to these children is. You're, you're cradling this baby and praying for her is a quiet, subtle ministry, but it has eternal ramifications, and you're doing a great job. I want to encourage you to continue. And then the, the team walks away encouraged, spurred, for, spurred, spurred forth in their faith and in their ministry in a way that even spills over outside of church into their dealings with children and people outside of the church. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This consolation idea is very similar to the encouragement idea, but it has more to do with comfort than forward movement. So this is the idea that the Holy Spirit could fill you and and stir you and give you words to say to someone who's hurting. This could be my son Elias sitting with Julia Brock in the breakfast room and they're eating. And uh, the Spirit moving in Elias, uh, Elias sees Julia there instead of his plate mounded up with donuts for a moment. And he says, Julia, how was your week? And Julia says, touched that, you know, a a young man would, would think to ask. She says, you know, actually I've had a really hard week this week, to be honest with you. And maybe she goes into detail, maybe she doesn't. And And Elias, filled with the Spirit, just offers some words that are true, according to the word, of sympathy and concern and compassion. And Julia walks away comforted. Never underestimate the power of a Spirit-prompted word to one another in the church. This is one of the ways God does some of his best work among us. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Verse 4 holds the real key to everything Paul is trying to say here. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So the distinction is between the spiritual gifts of tongues and the spiritual gift of prophecy But beneath that, there's a different distinction. That's really what Paul is driving at. One is for the upbuilding of the self. The other is for the upbuilding of the church. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Speaking to God in, in mysteries uttered in the Spirit must be amazing. I have never, ever experienced that. When I was a young Christian, I worked at a warehouse with Pentecostal people And the first question they asked me when they heard I was a Christian, well, do you speak in tongues? And to them, that was the test. If you didn't speak in tongues, you were not a Christian. I later found out that that has no biblical warrant, and that's not true. And I immediately dismissed it as speaking in tongues is something that those Pentecostal people with weak theology do, and not something that intelligent, educated Christians do. And I've been challenged and humbled in that more recently in my life, but I've never experienced it. Paul doesn't, um, he doesn't ban speaking in tongues. He doesn't say, no, the church should never do this. In the next verse, in verse 5, if you want to read on, he says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. And then later in verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So his point isn't that speaking in tongues is bad. It's not even that building yourself up in your own faith is bad. His point is this, and this may be a paradigm shift for us, so brace yourself. 
Building yourself up in the faith is great, but not when you gather with the church. Building yourself up in the faith is great, but not when you gather with the church. Private devotional time, prayer time, maybe Lord willing, speaking in tongues in this mysterious glimpse we see here is all great. But when we're gathered with the church, it's different. The one who prophesies builds up the church. That's why Paul says that this is one of the higher gifts. That's why he says especially desire this gift. Upbuilding, encouraging, consoling in Christ is greater than tongues when we come together. Because that's the purpose of us coming together. Your job when you come to church is not to build yourself. Your job when you come to church is to build the others. Tongues versus prophecy may not seem immediately relevant to you. You may not have rolled out of bed hoping I was going to preach on the spiritual gifts of tongues versus the spiritual gifts of prophecy. But building the self versus building the church is definitely relevant for all of us. Do we come to church to get something out of it? I didn't really get anything out of that. I mean, I went to church, I drug myself all the way there, they couldn't even get the video to work the first time. Jeff couldn't even work a piece of paper. I didn't get anything out of that. There's just nothing there for me. We talk like that, and it reveals a complete misunderstanding of what our job is here, why God has called us to gather in the first place. My job is not to get anything out of this. My job is to give to you everything I can. Your job is not to get anything out of this. It's to give to the people around you everything you can. And what's funny, and this is the way the paradox of Christianity always works, as we let go of ourself and set it aside to serve others, we do receive, we do end up being built up incredibly. But if we come to church that that is my goal, I am here to get something for me, we'll always misunderstand it. And we'll always be confused and we'll always be disappointed. And getting insufficiently from this church, we'll hop to that church. And when that church fails to give me what I want, I'll hop to another church. What is your job when you come to church? There is work to be done when we come together as a church. In our worship service, prayer meeting, Sunday school, breakfast, fellowship time, tonight... Sunday evening, encouragement, house to house, youth, young at heart. Every time we're drawn together, those the Lord draws into those gatherings, he gives a job to do. Going to church is going to work. Our job is to build the people around us. It's this great big construction project. And when we become Christians, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's as if God gives us our personalized toolbox and it's got our name written on it. And each of us opens up our toolbox. And it's not the exact same set of tools as the person beside us. We're uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to work on this construction project together. But we're to carry that toolbox with us whenever we gather with the people. Even informally, we go over for a cookout at somebody's house. Bring your Holy Spirit toolbox because there's work to be done. 
to accomplish the unaccomplishable in each other's lives, to discern amidst spiritual battles for one another, to teach people who know less. And you think, well, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I'll wait until I figure out my spiritual gifts, and then I'll get to work in the lives of the people around me. Well, that's not how it works. I really think you discover your, spirit, your spiritual gifts by working to build people up around you. I think as you do that, you start to see what the Lord has enabled you to do that's uniquely helpful that you can do. But don't wait for God to, to, for the clouds to arrange themselves in such a way to tell you this is your spiritual gift. Let's just get to work now and we'll figure it out. It's like riding a bicycle. It's a whole lot easier to turn directions when you're pedaling. It's a whole lot easier to figure out your spiritual gifts when you're working when you're serving. And this is our reason to get together. This is our reason to come together as a church in all these different ways. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. This is the premier guilt passage for people who have fallen out of church participation. If you're ever wanting to guilt someone back into church, this is your go-to passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. The writer must have had some specific people in mind. Let's not neglect to meet together like some people do. Pause for people to think, who might he be talking about? He's talking about me. Let's not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, But, what's the alternative? Instead of neglecting to meet together, let's just meet together more. Everybody needs to come. We'll start an attendance booster program. No, the alternative to neglecting to meet together, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So those are the two options. Neglect to meet together, fall out of participation in the life of the church, or stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another. This is our reason to be here this morning. This is a reason not to rush out of here as soon as Jan begins playing the postlude, but to stay and to speak to people because somebody needs you. God may have put you here and be planning to use the gifts he's given you to help somebody move forward as a Christian. This is a reason to not allow sports to swallow our family whole like the whale swallowing Jonah. Because we need each other to be here. This is a reason not to scale back during the summer. We need each other just as much during the summer. We need to be together. This is a reason to sing hymns together. Did you notice, I think all the hymns we sang together were not addressed to God but to one another. When we sing these songs, we're not just saying true things to God. We're saying true things to each other. We're singing them, singing these truths, not just into our own hearts, but into the hearts of each other. This is a reason to see church membership as a spiritual discipline on par with prayer and Bible reading. We have to be together to use these gifts the Holy Spirit has given us. This is a reason to pray Saturday night as you go to bed in preparation for the church gathering the next morning. 
I, I did something last night that I've never done. I'm tucking the kids in and praying for them. Usually I pray something like, let them get a good night's rest, prepare their hearts to, to go be a part of church tomorrow. Amen. It's a fine prayer. But after thinking about this all week, I prayed, Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit, enable them, empower them to be of spiritual benefit to somebody at church tomorrow. And I'm really looking forward to lunchtime to see how, if, God answered that prayer for them. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts so you may build up the church. Earnestly desire this. What a, what a great calling God has given us. He could have just damned us and said, forget these people. But he didn't. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place so we could be forgiven. And then he could have just left it at that. Okay, I forgive you, but y'all just stay out of trouble. I've got work to do. He didn't even just stop there. He gathered us in and enabled us to take part in this work that he is doing. And that is amazing. What calling do you have in your life that is higher than this? What endeavor do you have in your life that is higher than this? What pursuit do we have in our lives that will have more eternal significance than this? Let us earnestly desire the spiritual gifts so that we could build up the church together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy toward us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And now I just, on behalf of this church body, I ask that you would fill us with the Spirit. Give us spiritual gifts. Enable us to use them to build up the church. In Jesus' name, amen.